All right, good morning, good morning. How are we? Yeah, what a great day. I know many of you are excited and you have been anticipating this day for a long time. I know many of, many of you are already making your plans to go home and, and make lunch and, and, and to get ready to cheer. And the big question is, who will win? Will Patuxi Phil see his shadow or not, right? I mean, isn't that what we're looking forward to is Groundhog's Day? Right? Is it? I mean, I mean, is it two more weeks of, of winter or is it six more weeks of winter? I mean, that's the excitement, right? Whatever you're excited for today, I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited because I know that, that later today there's going to be a lot of worship going on for a lot of different things, including the Seahawks. Um, but I'm excited for the opportunity we have to come and worship our Savior here this morning. And so uh, I'm excited this morning we're going to continue in our, fir- in our study of 1 Timothy. Um, if you have a Bible, if you want to just turn to 1 Timothy real quick, um, uh, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you have one of these Bibles, we're on page uh, 851. And if you need a Bible, just slip your hand up, and we've got an usher in the back that can get you one. Um, I'm excited. Last week, uh, as we began this, the, this letter of 1 Timothy, uh, we learned that most of the background of this letter, that this, this, this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. And, and we learned a lot about the context of, of what was happening in the church in Ephesus. And we know that, that there was issues uh, in the church of Ephesus. Paul had planted it. Ten years later, they, they've got false teachers in there. They've got issues within the church. And so Paul sends his, 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 his partner, he's, Paul sends his, his true child of the faith, Timothy, to go to pastor this church in Ephesus and to deal with the issues that are there. And, and that's the context of this letter. And uh, so we're going to pick up today 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And uh, let's read this. It says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach, not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons... By swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and for the disobedient and for the ungodly and for sinners and for the holy, unholy and profane, for those who strike their mothers and fa- fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with, with which I have been entrusted. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to be in this place today. Uh, the fact that we can come and we can meet with you here. Here And Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would uh, allow your spirit to meet with us here and that you would draw us to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually, that we would uh, know what it is that you want us to, to hear today. Lord, I pray for those that are coming in, uh, Lord, who, who don't know you as their Savior, who, who are struggling in their faith. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every one of us. 
Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you for who you are. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen. So as we start out today, I want to look back at at verse 3. I want to start with verse 3. And verse 3 said, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. See, Paul's charge to Timothy here is to stay. It is to remain in Ephesus. And, and we start out, the first thing we see about this text is, is, is we see that we are told to stay where God has placed you. As, as Paul is writing this letter, as he's trying to, to tell Timothy, this is what you need to do. He says, Paul, he says, Timothy, you need to stay where God has placed you. Why is Paul telling Timothy to stay there? I mean, because he, the, the honest truth is Timothy, man, he wants to get out of there. He wants to run away. Huh? Paul, we know that Paul planted this church 10 years prior. And that when Paul was getting ready to leave, he warned the church and said, there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be wolves who are going to come in, who, who look like sheep, who, who look like they've got your best interests. And they're going to come and they're going to lead you astray. They're going to come with, with false doctrines, false teachings, and they're going to lead you into paths that are, that are not good for you. And, and, and so, so here's 10 years later. Uh, here's Timothy. He's been sent by the Apostle Paul. He's young, and he, he, he's the pastor of this church. And he comes, and, 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 and he's, he's this young guy. And, and the guys that are in the church, the false teachers, the wolves that are there in Ephesus, these guys are probably going to be older than he is. And, and, and Paul comes, and, 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 excuse me, Paul sends Timothy, and Timothy's by himself. Paul says, Timothy, you go alone, and you deal with this. In all reality, there's a group of men that are opposing him. There's a group of men that are the false teachers that are leading this church astray. Timothy, in all likelihood, he's not highly educated. Remember, we learned last week that about 16 years old, he, uh, Paul had come to his hometown of Lystra. And, and Paul says, hey, Timothy, you come with me and you come and, and serve underneath me. And so there's not... There's a high likelihood that Paul is, 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 excuse me, that Timothy is not highly educated. But these guys in Ephesus, chances are they're skilled in oratory. They're skilled in rhetoric. They're skilled in philosophy. They have a, a, a good Greek education. So Timothy, as he's here, as he's trying to lead this church, he, he's outnumbered. He's outgunned. He's surrounded by more older men, by, by men with more experience, by men who are more articulate than him. And you can imagine what Timothy's thinking. He's thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, right, I'm out of here. There, this sucks. There's so many better things that I can be doing with my life. I mean, has there ever been a time, even if you love God, has there ever been a time where, where you've, just decided, you've just decided, you know, that's it. I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know what the heck is going on. This is far too difficult for me to do on my own. And no one understands what I'm going through. Isn't that one of the lies that we always tell ourselves? No one understands what I'm going through right now. Or no one is willing to help me through this. So I'm, I'm out of here. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to go. Because if we're honest, no matter how much you love Jesus, if you've obeyed him and you're serving him in whatever capacity that he has placed you, there are days when you want to hit the eject button and go and do something else. This is Timothy. There's a tremendous pressure on Timothy to lead this church, 
to correct the issues that are going on, to handle the, the problems, and to deal with the people who are difficult to deal with. And, and quite honestly, Timothy feels rather overwhelmed. You can imagine the thoughts that are running through Timothy's mind. You can imagine Timothy's thinking and thinking back and saying, you know, life was a lot easier when I wasn't the one in charge. Life was a lot easier when when Paul, when you were in front, when Paul, you were the leader and I was just the guy in the background and I could just serve and do my thing. And and if there was any problems, it was you were the point guy, Paul. I mean, you can imagine these thoughts running through Timothy's mind. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Paul, Timothy's had these ideas, you know, back then it was so much easier because everybody liked me. Remember what we read last week in Acts chapter 16? It says in Lystra, all the people of his hometown, that they thought highly of Timothy. They, they, they loved him. They thought highly of him. And now he's got to lead these people who don't like him, who are pushing against him. Can any of you identify with Timothy? Can you identify with Timothy in your role at work, in your role at home, in your role in the church? I know I can identify with him. I know that as a new and young pastor, I know there are times that I feel inadequate and unqualified to be the guy standing up front leading this church. And beyond those feelings that I've had as a pastor, I have felt those similar feelings as, as a husband, as a, as a parent. As a friend, as, as any other role that I've had, there's been times that I have felt completely inadequate, completely unqualified, completely like I have no clue what I'm doing. And when times get difficult, it is easy to begin desire, to begin to desire to leave and to do something else. I mean, truthfully, when the going gets tough, when there's more questions than there are answers, when, when things are difficult, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to run. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is say, I can't handle this, and I don't need to deal with this. I don't want to handle these pressures. And the easiest thing for me to do right now is to turn and run back to where I came from, to run away. See, it's so much easier not to talk about sin or to draw lines in the sand. It's so much easier for us not to fight. It's so much easier for us to be indifferent it's so much easier for us to decide to be, be popular and not have to make difficult stands. It's so much easier for us not to change. It's easier for us to do what's comfortable, what's convenient, what's common. It's easier to pursue our own desires rather than God's will. But just because it's easier doesn't mean it's right. And the danger is, is if we start a pattern of running when the going gets tough, We're always going to run when the going gets tough. Because the first time that we feel that pressure, the first time we feel that pressure and we decide, hey, I'm going to run. I'm going to bail on this. I don't need to handle this. I don't need to deal with this. And instead of remaining faithful, when we decide to run, you know the problem is? It's the next time it gets difficult, it's that much easier to run. And then the next time, it becomes easier and easier and easier to where we live a life that we don't deal with issues, we just run. We move from one thing to the next to the next. And we spend our whole lives running. So Paul's command to Timothy is the same command to us. He says, remain. Don't run away and take the easy road. Stay where God has called you. 
Paul says to Timothy, he says, Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless ge- genealogies. You see what these guys are doing? The ESV says that these guys are, are teaching a different doctrine. The ESV calls it a different doctrine. Uh, most other translations will, will, will uh, translate that word as false doctrine. These wolves, these false teachers are up and they're teaching people false doctrine. Now, I know that we live in a society that says you can't be offensive and you can't tell anybody else that what they believe is wrong. I mean, we live in this politically correct society and, and, and it's not okay for us to tell somebody that they're wrong. I know that's, just, that's what the culture says. The culture says that there is no objective truth in the world. And it tells us that it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you are sincere in whatever you believe, then that's good enough. Because really there's no way to tell what the truth is. But see, that statement is so dumb because it doesn't really work. You know, I know there are some of you in here who several months ago, you decided, you know, this is going to be our year. And you said, you know, I know and I believe very sincerely that the Cowboys are going to be in the Super Bowl. Or maybe it was the Steelers. Or maybe it was the Packers. But you started the season and you said, I believe, I really believe this is our year. And, you know, there's millions of other people that were on your team with you. Well, we believe. Go Cowboys. But the truth is, no matter how much you believe that this was the Cowboys' year, They didn't even make the playoffs. Right? Right? I mean, not to rub it in. So everything, just because you believe it, everything doesn't mean, that doesn't mean everything is true. I mean, there are people that believe that the Holocaust didn't really happen. Just because they believe it, though, doesn't doesn't make it true. I mean, we know that. So at some point, we have to offend other people's belief. We have to draw lines in the sand and say, no, there is a real truth and there is a false truth. And it is a false truth that says, hey, the Holocaust didn't really happen. And there is a real truth that says, yes, it did happen. Six million people died during that time. And and so we have to be able to draw lines in the sand. We have to be ready to to offend people. Because with doctrine, there's true doctrine, there's right doctrine, and there's, there's false doctrine. And you say things, well, well, I just don't want to offend other people. Well, here's the deal. You're either going to offend people or you're going to offend God. You're going to offend somebody anyways. You cannot be, you cannot not be offensive. I mean, either we offend people or we offend God. Here at Restoration Church, we've decided we're going to honor God. And we're going to teach what God says. And so that means sometimes we get a little bit offended. Sometimes when I read God's word and I say, God, what do you have for me? Sometimes it's a little bit offensive because it kind of slaps me in the face and says, Kevin, you don't have it all figured out. So what is false doctrine? False doctrine is a lot of things. But most of the time, false doctrine comes down to to closed hand issues and to open hand issues. You see... And in the Bible, there are these, these, these close-handed issues. That are, these, these are things that aren't up for debate. These are things that as Christians, these are cores that we can't deviate from. These are foundational issues that we need to be in agreement on. I mean, these are things like the Bible is trustworthy. It is accurate and it is the true word of God. It's a close-handed issue. We aren't going to debate that one. 
I mean, these are things like Jesus is God. Yes, we believe that. There's no debate on that. Jesus was born of a virgin. Yeah, we don't debate that. That's true. Jesus lived without sin. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus rose from death for our sin. Salvation is through Jesus and him alone. These are close-handed issues. We aren't going to debate these. There's a heaven. There's a hell. There's only one way to God. And there's only one God. These are all close-handed issues. These are things that we can't deviate from. These are things that we all need to be in agreement on. But there are also, on the other hand, there's open-handed issues. These are secondary issues. These are uh, uh, issues that say we don't all have to agree on these. See, even as Christians, we can look a little bit different. We're all in agreement on these. But we can look a little different because of, of these. You say, well, what are those? Well, these are things that we can agree to disagree on. I mean, some people prefer their pastor to, to wear a suit and a tie or even crazy as it sounds, they even want their pastor to wear a robe. And others say, you know, we, we don't mind if our pastor wears uh, jeans and, and a Seahawks t-shirt on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, these are open-handed issues here. Open-handed issues are uh, like some people want to hear music through an organ. And some people want to have the drums and the guitar. This is an open-handed issue. I mean, we can, we can love each other and, and agree to disagree on this because it's not going to affect any of these. I mean, we have things like, like, like the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, have gifts of healing and gifts of tongues. Some believe them, some don't. That's okay. Uh, well, some people use the English Standard Version. Others prefer the NIV or the King James or the New King James. These are open-handed issues. doesn't really matter which version of the Bible you're reading as long as you're reading the Bible. These are all secondary issues. And so false doctrine occurs when people begin to attack these primary doctrines, when they attack and, and they begin to reduce these primary issues and say, you know, those are debatable. Those are no longer close-handed issues, but now we can begin to say, hey, Jesus, he really wasn't God. He was just a good man. No, see, that's leading into a false teaching. That is taking something that is a close-handed issue and saying, I'm going to reduce that and say that's not as significant. Or it's taken a secondary issue that gets elevated to the place of a primary issue. So Paul says in verse 4 that this is what these wolves are doing. These false teachers, they're teaching a false doctrine. And verse 4 it says uh, also that they devote themselves to myths and endless gen- genealogies. You want to know what a myth is? Here's a myth. A myth is something that somebody made up. It's not true. There's no fact behind it and throughout the bible as you read the bible what we we find we read through and we read the story and sometimes we see gaps in the bible sometimes we see gaps uh, one of the one of the gaps that you'll see in the bible is you see the gap between jesus's uh, childhood and and when he and, and his adult life you see there isn't much uh, of what happens between jesus's youth and when he became an adult man and so what happens is people begin to speculate and they begin to say well i know what happened during that time now, Jesus, he went, to, he, he went to Egypt. You know, Jesus, he went to India during that time, and he did all these things. See, these are called myths. We don't know what happened. People try and fill in that time frame with all these different things, but no, we aren't told what Jesus did. See, if there's a gap in the Bible, it's because we don't need to know what happened in between that issue. It's not, a, it's not an important thing to us. See, the danger with myths is when we make the Bible speak where it doesn't, 
then we make the Bible silent where it does. See, the danger with myths is that when we make the Bible speak where it doesn't, we make the Bible silent where it does speak. And that becomes the danger. And this is what these, these false teachers are doing here. And the, Paul, and the problem that Paul brings up is because of all of this false doctrine, because of these myths and these genealogies that these false teachers are promoting, Paul says in verse 4, he says a result of that. He said, they promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul says all these false teachings and all these myths and all these endless genealogies, they promote speculations, which is also translated as controversies. They promote controversies rather than the focus on the mission of God. And verses 6 and 7 says, certain persons, by swerving from these, the, 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 the true doctrines, by swerving from the right doctrine, they have wandered away into vain discussion. See, Paul says here that as they gave way to these false teachings and to these myths, they've, they've wandered into this, this vain discussion. See, number two for us this morning is, is false doctrine. What it, be, what it does is it distracts us from God's work. What Paul is saying, is telling to Timothy, is that all of this false teaching and myths, and etc., they've gotten the, the, the church in Ephesus distracted from their mission. They've got the church off their purpose. They're no longer doing what they were planted to do. They're no longer doing what they're called to do. Now, instead of being about God's work, they're busy arguing with each other and arguing over, hey, what did Jesus really do in between that time? And they begin focusing and having all these conversations about all these myths and all these genealogies and all this false doctrine. And and whether these are closed-handed issues and open-handed issues, they become distracted from what God had called them to do. Restoration Church, do you know that we've got work to do? Do you know we have lots of work to do in this city? And we've been called by God on a very important mission. Our mission is to know Christ. And what's the other part? To make Christ known. That is our mission. This is what we've been called to do. Do you realize we have a lot of work left to do? It starts right here in our city. We've been planted intentionally right here in downtown Yakima to be a a church in the city for the city. And there are tons of people right around us who who don't know Jesus, who, who, who believe the lie that as long as they are sincere in whatever they believe, then that's good enough for them to get to heaven. And guess what's going to happen? Is those people that believe that, they're going to come to the point of judgment And they're going to find hell to be a very real and scary place. See, we have work to do. At our men's Bible study that was yesterday, our men's Bible study is going to meet the next seven or eight weeks, uh, 7.30 a.m. at the ministry center. We'd invite all men, come join us, even if you miss the first week. uh, We'd invite you to be here next week, uh, 7.30 at the ministry center, Saturday morning. But at our men's study yesterday, we were challenged when we were, we were challenged. And, the, and they, the challenge was this. Hey, when you leave church this morning, most of us, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to drive out this way and take Yakima Avenue and take Yakima Avenue out to our house. Or if you live somewhere else, you'll take Yakima Avenue this way to the freeway. And we were challenged, instead of just turning right on Yakima Avenue, just go up Natchez Avenue. Drive up Natchez Avenue for a little while, a couple blocks, and look around. 
These homes, they represent people. They represent families. There are people that are hurting. There are families that are struggling. There are marriages that are falling apart. There are young people who are being led to dangerous places. See, these people are without hope. These people, they need Jesus. They need restoration. And, and, and think about your own circle of influence, the places that God has placed you. Our families, our workplaces, our schools, our neighbor, our neighbors, our neighborhood. There are people who we know who, who need to find the hope of Christ. You see, Restoration Church, we've got a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. And this is why, this is what false teachers do. They, they get the church off its mission of, of people and Jesus. They get the church off the mission of Jesus and people and onto all these discussions, uh, vain discussions about this and that. And they promote controversies. And all of a sudden, we're so busy talking amongst ourselves about all these different things that pretty soon we get off mission altogether. And soon the church doesn't see any growth. Soon, we don't see anybody coming and getting saved at the church. We don't see lives that are getting changed. We don't see people getting baptized. And the church becomes stagnant. And soon, that church will be headed for death. You see, church, we have lots of work to do. We have a mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known. And we have to keep the main thing being the main thing. That is why here at Restoration Church, you're going to hear us talk about the mission time and time and time again. I hope you get tired of hearing me saying it. Because if you get tired of hearing me saying it, then I know I, I've got a good beginning. Because if we ever get distracted from what we're about, then I don't want to be one of those churches that's just so busy talking amongst ourselves that we don't see people getting saved. We don't see lives being changed. We become stagnant. And soon we become dead. Look with me at verse 5. Look what Paul says next. He says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, Paul tells Timothy that the goal, the motivation behind Timothy staying and remaining in Ephesus the motivation behind drawing these lines in the sand, behind uh, confronting these false teachers is love. Your motivation is love. As Paul tells Timothy to dig his heels into the church at Ephesus, to call out the false teachers and to draw these lines in the sand, as, as, he, as he charges Timothy to fight for true and right doctrine and belief, Paul says the motivation behind all of that is love. It's the love for uh, it's love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Timothy's motivation to fight, Timothy's motivation to draw lines is a love for Christ, a love for Jesus, a love for Jesus as church, a love for, for, for the people of the church, a love for the sheep, and even a little bit of love for the wolves and the false teachers. You see, somehow, again, our culture has changed the idea of what love is. Somehow, our culture has changed the idea that if you really love me, then you'd let me do whatever I want. I mean, this is the, the, the lie that our culture tells us. If you really love someone, you're going to let them do whatever they want. See, but see, what that really is, is that's really hatred. That is really hatred. Letting the people we care about doing what they want, doing whatever they want, isn't love at all. Most of you know my youngest son, Oliver. He's four years old. 
20 pounds. He's this big. And uh, a few weeks ago, he went to Costco with me. And we're getting out of the car, and, and he gets out, and he starts running towards the back of the car, towards the parking lot. And I grabbed his hand. I said, no, Oliver. And he looked at me with that look. You know that look. He folds those four-year-old, four-year-old arms, puts his head down, and turns his back to me. He had no clue. Dad, why would you do this? Dad, I just want to run. And he does this thing where, where he doesn't want to step on the cracks. And so he's jumping away from the cracks because if you step on the crack, you break mama's back. And he loves mom and doesn't want to do that. <laughs> but you see, I stopped him because I love him. I stopped him because I knew there was danger in front of him. And I raised my voice, not because I was mad at him, but because I was worried for him. This is Paul. This is Paul. He loves the church. He loves the people in the church. He loves Timothy. And he's raising his voice here because he's worried about what's happening. He's worried about where they're going. He's worried about the Bible being diminished and people being led astray. And out of love, he's calling Timothy. Out of Timothy's love for the church to take charge, to stand firm, to prepare to fight. I mean, this church, they are in danger. They are beginning to walk away from the truth. So look here. Don't buy into the truth. Uh, Excuse me, don't buy into the idea that if you love somebody, you let them do whatever they want. Proverbs says that the wounds of a friend are to be trusted much. You see, if somebody loves you, sometimes (laughs) you've got to sting them. If you love somebody, sometimes you've got to sting them. Sometimes you've got to give them the right hand of fellowship across the side of their face. (laughs) Because if we don't, if we let them shipwreck their faith and shipwreck their life, if we let them make horrible decisions that lead them astray, what that really shows is that we don't really love them after all. Really, that shows that we really don't love them like we say we do. Because if we really love them, we're going to look out for what's best for them. We aren't going to let them make those, those dumb decisions. Look once more with me at our text, verses 7 and 8. It says, Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. See, Paul says these false teachers, they desire to be teachers of the law, yet they don't even know what they're talking about, even though they're making confident assertions. These false teachers, they don't know what they are talking about, but they sure sound confident, right? I mean, I mean, they use big religious words, and they sound very intellectual, and, and, and they sound spiritual, and they even might even sound slightly biblical. But the truth is, just because someone can drop a few Bible verses, just because they can quote a dead theologian, just because even they can preach a sermon, it doesn't mean that they, what they are teaching lines up with what the Bible really says. In fact, sometimes the worst false doctrine and the worst false teachers are usually the ones that can make things sound religious. I often say that Mormons, Mormons sound very religious. Mormons even come to the point that they sound biblical. I mean, they will use the same words that we do. They use the words of salvation and atonement, and and even they use the word gospel. But you see, when they're talking about these words, uh, their words don't mean the same thing as what the Bible teaches. They've redefined what those words mean. 
And so, sure, they sound good. They sound sound. They sound biblical. But it's actually a very dangerous false religion that they lead people into. Because they can sound religious. They can sound biblical. So according to Paul, these false teachers in Ephesus, they appear to be teaching the Bible, but they've got a perverted view of God's law. The law here is referring to God's moral law, summarized in the Ten Commandments. And Paul says the law is good if it is used correctly. The law is part of our Bible, and if, and if we know how to use it, then it's good. It's just like a hammer. A hammer is good when I'm driving nails, but when I miss the nail and I hit my finger, that's not good. That's not what the, the, the hammer is for, right? A hammer is only good if it's used properly, and so is the law. The law is good if it's used properly. Paul continues and says, the law is not laid down for the just, He's saying the law isn't just written for Christians, but is here for the lawless, for the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever read your Bible? You ever get up in the morning and say, I want to read my Bible and and I want to be encouraged by what the Bible says. And you open it up and you begin to read. And you see, there's a lot of things that the Bible says you need to do this and do this and you need to not do this and not do this, right? I mean, you read the Bible and like all these things you're supposed to do and all these things you're not supposed to do. Do you ever open up your Bible and all of a sudden you get pretty discouraged? I mean, you read it hoping to get encouraged. You read it hoping to feel good about yourself, kind of like a Hallmark card. You know, you want to feel good about yourself, and you say, God's word, help me feel good about myself. And, and you begin to read it, and you're just like, holy cow, I suck. I mean, I mean, you read one page, and you're like, yeah, I failed this, and I failed that, and I failed this. And you turn the next page, and it says, oh, well, I failed this, and I failed that, and I, and I didn't do that too. I mean, you read the Bible, and you're like, holy cow, I stink. That's actually a good thing. I mean, if we read the Bible and say, man, I'm not very good at this Christianity thing, that's a good thing. Because this is what the law is for. You read it and you start to feel bad because it's naming you. When, when Paul lists these things, you know, the ungodly and the sinners, the lawless and the disobedient, the lawless. Anybody speed on the way to work today or on the way to church today? I know some of you would never do that. Some of you do get pulled over on a regular basis a couple times in a week. I'm not mentioning any names, but I, you know. (laughs) You know, we read this, we read it, and it speaks directly to us. We are the people who occasionally, we break the speed limit. We're the lawless. We, We read about liars. Well, we never lie. Well, maybe we do lie. And it speaks directly to us. So you read it and you start to feel bad because it's naming you. Our first reaction to reading the law should be that we should feel convicted of sin. That we should feel bad for our sin. And that's the first step to healthy and sound in our doctrine. We should read the Bible and be convicted of our sins. And Paul goes on and he says, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. See, what happens is we read the Bible, we, can get, we get convicted of our sin, and that leads us to solid doctrine because it identifies that we are sinners in need of God. 
And as we read the law and we say, man, I, I, I failed at this today and I failed at that today. And we read that, we become discouraged. It should give us hope because we realize, hey, it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about me doing all these things, it's about God forgiving me and about God changing me. See, what happens is we read the Bible, we get convicted of our sin, and that leads us to understanding our need of God. We need God to forgive us. We need God to transform us and to change us. We need God to empower us so we can be different. This is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel is. Number four for us this morning is right doctrine is always in harmony with the gospel. Right doctrine is always in harmony with the gospel. This is a great litmus test for for doctrine. Does it lead us to the gospel? See, a false doctrine will only be concerned about what you do and what you don't do. Misusing the law, misusing the Bible. This is is what you need to do for God if you're going to be right. This is a false doctrine. But a true doctrine will lead you to an open Bible that you will see your need every day for Jesus. A false teacher will tell you the things that you need to do for God. Well, you need to do this and this and this, and you need to do all these things for God. But you see, a real Bible teacher, they'll tell you what Jesus has done for you, and that will change you. That will melt your heart, and that will change your life. Because it's not about you, it's about what Jesus has done. As we bring this to a close this morning, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is God, the eternal God. He made everything, including us. But we sinned. We thought that we were smarter than God. So we go and we go and we do whatever we want to do, and and we live as though we can do whatever we want. And Jesus comes on a rescue mission. And he's born into this life in humble circumstances, into poverty, so that he can identify with us. He lives a life without sin. He lets soldiers murder him on a cross. And he dies, and when he dies, he takes all of our sins, and he puts it on himself. He dies for our sin. He pays the death penalty for our sin. And Jesus goes to the tomb, and is buried, and three days later, he raises from the dead. He conquers Satan, death, hell. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the God the Father except through me. He says, he's the only way that we can have our sins forgiven. He's the only way that we can see eternal life. He's the only way that we can know God. He's the only way that we can experience true change in our lives. This is sound doctrine. We need Jesus. Jesus loves us. This is what it's about. See, as, as Paul's talking through, one of, my, uh, one of always my concerns is I'm listening to people talk about their doctrine. Does it lead us back to the gospel? Because it's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And if we ever get off the fact that it's about Jesus, we're going to be led to the places that these false teachers are leading the church in Ephesus, leading into false doctrines. As the worship team comes forward this morning, I want to invite you to respond to God with me today. Here at Restoration Church, our desire is for every one of us to connect with God this morning. So what we've done is we've designed our services uh, intentionally to include a couple of worship songs here at the end of our service. So I invite you this morning to connect with God however you need to. 
If you need to just close your eyes and spend time with God in prayer. Spend time confessing, God, man, I really needed you this week. God, I really blew it. I need you today. God, I need your forgiveness. You know, spend time in your seat just in prayer. If that's what you need, take the next few minutes and just do that. If that is responding to God through worship this morning, I'd invite you to join us and just praise God for who he is. Praise him for what he's done. Praise him for what he's done in your life. And if you'd like to talk with me or, or, or about anything, or if you'd like to have me pray for you, I'll be up here on the front row. If you'd like to come forward, I'd love to be able to pray with you. You don't have to. You can do it in your seat. But if you'd like to come up and talk with me, I'd love the opportunity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time together as a church. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from the enemy. Lord, that you would protect our church and each one of us from the false doctrines and the false teachers and the myths and the endless speculations and the silly arguments and the reduction of primary matters and the elevation of secondary matters. And God, in the confusion over these things, Lord, protect us from them. God, I pray that you would keep us as a, as a people, that you would keep us with our Bibles open, that we would people that we'd be people who love your word. That we would be people who don't stand over your word, but that we kneel under it. Lord, let us be people who follow you and are on mission with you. People who are in step with your calling of knowing Christ and making Christ known. And finally, Lord, let us be people who always come back to your grace through the gospel. That we don't stand in our own strength as if we're some great and mighty people that we would continually surrender to you and that you, God, would change us and that you, God, would strengthen us and that you, God, would use us for your kingdom's sake. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for meeting us here with us today. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.